Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We'll consider verses 46 through 56 this morning. The first Christmas carols. The first Christmas carols. Well, it's official now. We have officially moved into the Christmas season, and there's really several indicators of that truth. Uh, parents are already beginning to threaten their kids. If you don't behave, if you don't clean up that room, I'm going to take everything under that tree back. Things such as analysts crunching numbers in hopes of finding that the economy is strong. One of the sad indicators that we have moved into the Christmas season is in the last few years of my life, financial numbers and, and so forth from a good... Uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday has seemed to dwarf the idea of Thanksgiving anymore. And we're not a thankful people. We're worried about how to accumulate more stuff. Bell ringers at the stores, football seasons drawing to a close, and yet hunting seasons are reaching their full strides. And yes, Christmas music. My wife loves this time of year. She'll find K-Love that usually starts right after Thanksgiving, put it on that, and listen to Christmas until they'll quit playing it. Uh, and, and she just nonstop. She loves Christmas music. So it, it seems that it's official. We have now entered into the Christmas season. And so uh, thinking about that and the idea of Christmas music, my, my attentions were drawn to the Gospel of Luke. And it's because that in Gospel of Luke, Luke draws attention to the fact and punctuates the fact of the splendor of the birth of Jesus by including a collection of songs in his narrative. Uh, he includes a, 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 just a, a, a series of Christmas carols in his narrative to celebrate the fact that Christ came to this earth. Over the course of the next four weeks, we will begin to look at these songs, and hopefully we will set aside, now listen to me, we will set aside all of our inhibitions, all of our fears, all of our concerns of what others are going to say, and we will join in that angelic, and that human band that knelt before the Christ and worshipped and adored and loved and praised him with songs. The songs that we will look at that uh, are, uh, Luke records for us first are sung by Mary, then by Zechariah, then the angels, and then finally by Simeon. And so we're going to look at those four songs over the next four weeks as we go through the Christmas season. The first one that we'll consider will be the song that Mary sang. And, and, and I've, I've listened to a lot of sermons. I've preached a lot of sermons on, on Mary's song. And, and, and it seems that often the focus is placed upon Mary. But I, I looked very closely at that song this week, that, that what we call the Magnificat. Uh, in honesty, it's often referred to as uh, that, that Latin phrase that, that has the meaning of my soul doth magnify the Lord. And if you look at that song very closely, you'll realize that she doesn't sing that song about herself, but rather she sings that song about God. That song is the outpouring and the overflowing of, of, of thankfulness to a God who has interjected himself among mankind. I, I don't think we can really fully understand the, the importance of the idea that, that God himself interjected himself among us. 
I mean, why would a God that, that, that enjoys all that he enjoyed in heaven, why would he come to this earth and make statements like the birds have nests, the foxes have holes, I'm the creator of the world and I've got nothing? Why would he come and interject himself into a world where they're going to spit in his face, where they're going to laugh at him, they're going to mock him, where they're going to lay trap after trap after trap, always looking for some reason to accuse him of something? Why come to a world knowing that every time your foot brought up dust from the earth you were walking, you were stepping one, close, one step closer to a wooden cross and the most agonizing way to die? Why do that? Why get involved? Especially when you consider that he put man in the Garden of Eden and said, listen, we'll enjoy a great uh, relationship. We'll have fellowship. I'll come every day. We'll talk. We'll walk. We'll enjoy this. You'll be created in a, in, in a state of innocency. I, listen, I will place the whole world under your feet and give you the authority to domineer over the earth. There will be no fear of animals. There will be no fear of other men. Can you imagine living in a world where there was absolutely no fear of anything? And God had done that. And he said one simple thing. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat of it, dying you will die. Two deaths, physical and spiritual. That's all they had to do was leave that tree alone. And Satan had convinced Adam and Eve that God was holding back something. God was not being fair. God was, God was not wanting them to experience the, the best of this world. And young people, Satan's still trying to get people to believe that. Satan's still trying to tell you, oh, go ahead and smoke this joint of marijuana. It's the way to really enjoy this world. Go ahead and have an extramarital affair. The variety is the spice of life, and it'll really make you enjoy things and go ahead and drink and go ahead and do this and go ahead and do that and go ahead and, and get yourself in this debt so that you can have this. Just go ahead and do all of this stuff. Because if not, you're holding back of enjoying the best of life. He had done all that and mankind ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil anyway and yet in his love and mercy God still interjected himself among mankind. That's an amazing fact. I mean, that's amazing. It goes beyond, and, and, and really amazing is far too small of a word to describe it, but it goes beyond our ability to put it into words. Our thoughts this morning as we look closely, well, I'll share those with you. Let's read the text. In, in, in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46, And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath set, uh, sent empty away. 
He hath helped or helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spake to the, or as he spake to the fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. This morning we'll consider in Mary's song three truths. Number one, we're going to consider that God is mindful of his promises. God is mindful of his promises. We're going to see that not only is God mindful of his promises, but God is mighty in his deeds. I, I, I've been so excited about this. I, 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 I know that I, you hear me say that every Sunday. I'm so excited about what the Lord's laid on my heart. But y'all, as I got to thinking and, and just thought all week long that God is mindful of his promises. And when you put that in, the, in, in the, 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 the context of what we're talking about, it's an amazing thought. The fact that God is mighty in his deeds and that God is merciful in his deal, dealings. And I don't care if you are a Baptist. You ought to be able to shout that God is mindful, mighty, and merciful. Now, I realize that Mary mentions quite a, a bit about herself in this song. But all the references to herself are a result of what God is doing for her and in her life. We'll begin this morning by talking about God being mindful of his promises. If you look up the word mindful in the Oxford English Dictionary, it will define the word mindful as this, taking thought of taking care of, or keeping remembrance of. I know you know what the word mindful means. But I want you to see this psalm in the idea that Mary is saying that God of heaven has taken thought of me. That the God of heaven has taken care of my life. That the God of heaven has remembrance of me. You know how many people there have been on this earth since the beginning of mankind? I don't suppose there's any way to have any idea, a guesstimation of how many billions and ten billions upon billions of people that is. And yet with all of these billions of people that have, that have, that have walked this earth from the beginning of humanity till now, and yet God is mindful of you and I today. That's an amazing thought with all that's going on in our world today, good or bad, God has taken a remembrance of you and I. As Mary received the word that what was going to happen to her in her life, and it's really fascinating if you go back and look in about verse 26 down to 46, there's this bouncing back and forth between uh, just the, the sheer humanity and yet the deity of all these events. God says this is going to happen, and she shows the human response by someone, Lord, I don't know how that's going to work out, you know. And, and this goes back and forth, back and forth of the, the sheer humanity and yet the, the, the absolute deity of what's about to happen. And so we come to the place then where she goes to her cousin's house, Elizabeth. Can you imagine, Brother Charles, the discussion <laughs> that went on between those two ladies there? I mean, I don't imagine, I, when my wife has some ladies over, there's, I, it generally it always involves some kind of a chick flick being played and popcorn and things of that nature. I don't imagine Mary and Elizabeth sat, uh, sat around thinking about, well, we sure need to pop some popcorn. Have you seen the latest chick flick? You know, They were talking about 
what God was doing in both of their lives as far as bringing forth a child. And they understood that it was nothing but God's power and that God was being mindful of some people that, let's face it, outside of their immediate family, nobody else in the world cared or gave any thought to. Nobody else ever thought about Mary. My gracious, she's not from Jerusalem. She's not of royalty. She is not the, the, the wife of the governor. Or she's not the wife of the high priest. She's marrying a, a, a simple carpenter. She's a nobody. And yet, God was mindful. Mary says, God has been mindful of me. He could have found a rich, noble, powerful queen who lives in a palace somewhere, but he chose not to do so. He's come instead to a lowly maiden who has no apparent significance other than to her immediate family. Mary said, God has been mindful of me. There's a song that will be sung in our cantata in a couple weeks. I hope you'll bear with me for just a minute. When I first saw the song, Brother Brian, and the title of the song, I thought, well, now I've got to read this. I'm not sure where this is going. <laughs> the title of the song is A Strange Way to Save the World. And I thought, well, where in the world are we going with this? Let me just read you a little bit of it. A Strange Way to Save the World. I'm sure he must have been surprised at where this road had taken him because never in a million lives... Would he have dreamed, turn two pages, pardon me. Would he have dreamed of Bethlehem? And standing at the manger, he saw with his own eyes the message from the angel come to life. And Joseph said, why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him with all the rulers in the world? Why here? Inside this stable filled with hay. And why her? She's just an ordinary girl. The next verse very quickly goes on and it says, To think of how it could have been if Jesus had come as he deserved, there would have been, so, uh, there would have been no Bethlehem, no lowly sheep, uh, shepherds at his birth. But Joseph knew the reason love had to reach so far. And as he held the Savior in his arms, he must have thought, Why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him with all the rulers in the world? Why here inside this stable filled with hay? And why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Are y'all not amazed that the creator of the world would get involved with us at that level? Mary says that God has been mindful of me. Just a lowly peasant girl. God has been mindful. Go back, if you will, and look at, at the text. And he says, and she reminds us that God has not only been mindful of her, but God has been mindful of his promises to Abraham and to all the forefathers before her that God would raise up a Messiah. 
a savior and that from that family that all the world uh, all the families of the world would be blessed and that that family would become as innumerable as the stars of the heavens Go back to Genesis chapter 12 and you'll see that, that God begins to make these promises. You'd actually go a little further back than that. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Now I want you to think with me for just a minute. I realize there are some that's going to argue with me, but everybody has the right to be wrong if they want to. And a lot of people express that right sometimes. But, and I understand what they say and, and all that, but mankind is only about 6,000 years old. Now, you can argue all you want to about how old the earth is, but mankind is about 6,000 years old. Pure and simple, that's the end of the discussion because that's what the Bible says. So somewhere around 4,000 years ago, before this night in Bethlehem, God made a promise. 4,000 years ago, or before the, the, that night. We can't even fathom 4,000 years God said, I am going to interject myself into mankind through the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 12, he calls Abraham out of the land of, uh, of pagans and he says, come and follow me to a land that I will show you. Uh, leave your family and, and, and I'm going to make this land yours and I'm going to make you a great and mighty nation and, and that, that, that you will be innumerable and, and all of this and yet... Abraham lives and he follows and he's now over 100 years old and there's still no child. Had God forgotten? No. And you can go on and you can see that through the, the, through the tabernacle and through the sacrifices and, and all the way through all of the, the, the prophets and all of the messages of the Psalms and the history writers and, and one after another after another, through thousands and thousands of years, God keeps reminding all of humanity, I'm coming, I'm coming. And yet, we travel four thousand years all the way to Malachi can you imagine that generation after generation can you picture little brother David Tate running around as a little kid and his granddaddy's telling him that the Lord's coming in the person of of Christ the Messiah and then all of a sudden brother David stands at the graveside of his grandfather who is gone but his dad's been telling him and yet, the baby has not arrived. Now, Brother David's father's gone, and he's been sharing it with his kids and his grandkids. But the day comes, and Brother David's gone, and his kids and grandkids have been telling everybody, and yet, they've gone. I don't think we can wrap our mind around 4,000 years of being told this is going to happen. And all of a sudden, Mary rings out through the earth a song of praise, a song of celebration that says after 4,000 years of waiting, it's here. My son is the son of God, the, the, the savior of the world. Matter of fact, while all the other moms and dads were trying to figure out what to name the child, we hadn't had the first discussion because we were told, name him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people. Mary said, God has been mindful, not just of me, but of his people.
and all the hustle and bustling going around, all the deadlines that we'll have to meet, all the Christmas parties, all the shopping, all the wrapping, all the hiding, all the rewrapping after the kids kind of sneak a peek, after all is said and done, would we not bow before Jesus and recognize that God is always mindful of His promises? You know, and nothing's changed. For more than 2,000 years now, we've been saying, guess what? He's coming back. He's coming back. He is coming back. And generation after generation rises and falls. And the world still says what? He hasn't come yet. But let me, let me just assure you of one thing this morning. I cannot assure you of, of, of anything else other than I can assure you of this. One of these days, the people of God are going to be able to sing a song of praise and say that God is mindful of His promises because His Son has just split the eastern skies. He has not forgotten anything and He has not gotten to the point where He cannot make good on His promises. He's coming. He is coming. Just as sure as I stand before you, He is coming. Mary begins to sing this song, no doubt, overflowing with emotions. And her first thought is, God is mindful. He's mindful of His promises. You know, <laughs> we tend to think of greatness, somebody that is great, somebody that is rich, somebody that is elite, we think of them in, 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 in how they isolate. I'm told, I don't know, I'm told that the story is told, I, I suppose it was true, that, that whenever Elvis Presley wanted to go to a movie, he had to rent out the entire theater. I'm told that if he wanted to go to a, to a, a Magic Springs, he had to rent out the entire amusement park. I'm told that there are people that drive by the Buckingham Palace and they say, well... There's a queen up there, but we'll never, we'll never really meet her and get to interact with her. And that's true in this world. If you got enough money, Brother Jimmy, you can build a driveway that is so long that you can totally isolate yourself from the rest of the people going around. If you got enough money, if you got enough power, you can isolate yourselves from those that do not meet your standard. But I'm telling you, we didn't meet God's standard, and His greatness is not seen in the fact that He isolated Himself, but in the fact that He got involved with us. So much lower than He. And yet, here He come. The greatness. C.S. Lewis said that the person of Jesus, God himself, has landed on this enemy-occupied planet and he's landed in human form. Why? Because he's mindful. He is mindful. Not only is God mindful, but God is mighty. Mary said, God has done great things to me. Brother David's class this morning was on boldness. I can't imagine, I can't begin to talk about or think about and wrap my mind around the boldness of Mary or the boldness of Joseph in this particular case. Uh, we're not going to dwell on this too much, but 
the idea of conceiving without knowing a man is impossible by human standards. But this wasn't the work of humanity. This was the work of deity. God had interjected himself through the seed of woman in Genesis chapter 3. Not the seed of man, but the seed of woman. You see, the seed of man carries the sinful part. And so when he was born of a virgin, that left him as humanity like you and I, minus that sinful portion. Mary understood. Just be honest, guys. If every time Mary came to, and to somebody's house and said, you know, uh, you're showing Mary. Well, yeah, the Lord did this. Or every time she came over to your house for dinner or she was out at Brookshire shopping or she stopped at Burger King to get a burger and, and everybody's saying, Mary, this is kind of shameful, isn't it? you got to understand I didn't do anything other than made myself available to God. That's all I did. Right. Nobody else believed it because nobody else thought it possible. But Mary knew that God was mighty. And what God had done couldn't be done by anybody else or any other God because there is only one God. But I love what she says. Go back and look at the text. Not only is, is he mighty to me, but notice what he does in his might. He has scattered the proud. Scattered the proud. You, you ever met people in this world that just are just as prideful as they can be? Think they are so strong and so smart and so powerful and they have so much money that things, you know, I, I, it's amazing to me. Somehow, apparently, if you can make it big into the arena of sports and you make six to eight million dollars a year, all of a sudden laws do not apply to you anymore, apparently. But God is saying, listen, for those that are proud, for those who think they have something to stand upon outside of my son, Jesus Christ, I'm going to show myself powerful and I'll bring them to their knees. Think about all the kingdoms. I love watching History Channel and, and every now and watching the, some of the, the history of the Roman Empire and the Egyptian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire. And you read of these men, you read of these empires that have risen to places that they thought nobody could topple them. And when I read of the prophets, I read that God sets them up and God knocks them down. He is powerful. He is mighty. What's all this got to do with anything? You see, God has a plan that's going to end in the book of Revelation when all of this world will finally see Jesus Christ for who he is. And so God is working. He's allowing this kingdom to come up and he's taking this one down. I would dare say, just touching on what we kind of talked about a couple Wednesday nights ago, unfortunately, I think he has blessed this nation and I'm afraid we got a little bit too high on ourselves, and I'm afraid he may have to bring us down. But you look at what Mary, Mary says, and Mary says he, he takes and he scatters the proud. What is little old Mary going to do against the Roman Empire? How's Mary going to stop all the injustices of Roman emperors? 
What is a little girl like Mary going to do standing against uh, Cleopatra, the queen of the Nile? Ain't a thing that Mary can do, but everything in the world that her Savior can do. The world's most educated, the world's elite rich, the world's dictators, the world's dignitaries, monarchs, and leaders of the, uh, of the free world. Bless your heart, one of these days they are going to understand there is only one kingdom that will last forever and there is only one king of kings and lord of lords and they're not it. Mary said, my God's power, might is displayed in how he brings to nothing those that think there's something. He sends the rich away empty. I came in for just a few minutes in between chores yesterday and cooking and doing this and that and the other and uh, Paula was in her chair, sinus headache, and she was watching TV, and she was watching uh, Scrooge, um, The Christmas Carol. And I was just reminded of some of the story plot there of, of, of Scrooge and all of his wealth. And then here was, uh, oh, I forgot their name, McCratchit family, thank you. And, and they were just barely getting by and, and, and struggling. And Mary understood that God eventually will send those rich away empty. Go back and read the story of the rich man and Lazarus. That's part of what God said. As, as the rich man is, is, is pleading and, and trying to beg with God and, and bargain with God about this and that and the other, and finally God just says, look guys, you've enjoyed what you enjoyed in your life and Lazarus received what he received and now the tables are reversed now get this the only difference is what he enjoyed and what you enjoyed on this earth was temporary those tables that have reversed they're eternal they are eternal rich man Mary had seen the injustices of rich over poor she was in a stable because they were not rich enough to have a room. Say, well, the inn was full. If they were rich enough, room would have been made. But they weren't. God is mighty. Now, let me say this very quickly and then we'll move on. God does all that, but he doesn't do it vindictively. See, that's the thing. If I were doing all that, I'd do it vindictively. But God doesn't do it that way. He does it righteously. Finally, God is merciful. In verse 52, he has lifted up the humble and he has filled the hungry. And I was amazed when I thought about Mary's song of lifting up the humble and feeding the hungry because if you go back to Jesus' message in Matthew chapter 5, what did he say? If you're going to come to me, you're going to have to be humble and you're going to have to be hungry. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I didn't tell my wife this the other day. I came in and she had a lunch fixed. I really wasn't interested in it. And it's not that who's the better cook. We all know that. But I wasn't interested in it. Because I had snuck a couple of Snickers bar, not the big bars, but just the little, you know. I had ate a couple Snickers bar earlier that morning. 
I really wasn't hungry. It wouldn't matter what she fixed. It wouldn't matter how good it was. I didn't come home hungry. Let me ask you, how often do we come to his house? Humble and hungry. I know there's a bunch of food back there. But I'm talking about coming here humble and hungry for that interaction with God. Starving for some of that word from God. Starving for the opportunity to respond to God's word. Starving to have that relationship recharged and revitalized and that opportunity to bow down before Him and pray for our needs or worship Him for His greatness. Hungry. I think sometimes... I'm going to take that thing off. I know sometimes because I sat on that side of the pew a lot longer than I've sat on this side now. Well, not a lot longer now. But I've sat on that side a lot to know. A lot of times we come in, we sit down, we throw our mind in neutral or we're so busy about what we've got to do next week and our lives are so full. I, I hear people say we've got to get disconnected from the world. You know what's keeping you from disconnecting from the world right now? You. You're the only one that controls that. And to come in here hungry to hear from God. It's a great opportunity. Jesus, according to Mary, was going to lift up the humble. And he was going to make sure that the hungry was fed as you consider going back to Genesis 12 very quickly and talking about the mercifulness of God I want you to understand that the day is coming and I'm I'm anxious for this day I really am because there's going to be a lot of missionary Baptists going to be standing there with a jaw hung out about like this Because a lot of our missionary Baptist ways have been wrong for a long time. But one of these days, we're going to stand in heaven. And there's going to be an Arab standing there, a Christian Arab. And you're going to ask him, what's he doing here? And he's going to say, I'm here because of the mercy of God. And there's going to be an African American over here. And somebody's going to say, well, what are you doing here? He's going to say, I'm here because of the mercy of God. And you're going to see a Jew, and you're going to see some that were this and some that were that. You're going to see rich. You're going to see poor. You're going to see educated, and you're going to see those that are not. You're going to find uh, the Greeks and the barbarians. You're going to find people from all walks of the life simply standing there for no other reason than God is merciful in his dealings with mankind. So merciful that he says to you this morning, come unto me. And I'll give you rest. Come unto me. Take my yoke upon you, for my burdens are what? Light. You've been carrying around the weight of your sin. You've been carrying around the, 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 the burden of trying to satisfy this religion and that religion. And you've been saddled with all of this. Listen, just come to me. Humble and hungry. Exchange all of your heavy burdens for the burden that I offer you, for it is light. 
There's a lady that wrote a song. Kitty Suffield, I believe it is. Is that right, Brother Brian? Kitty Suffield? Not familiar with it? Uh, she wrote the song that you're more familiar with, probably little as much when God is in it. But she also wrote this song. Have you started for glory in heaven? Have you left this old world far behind? In your heart is the comforter dwelling. Can you say, praise the Lord, he is mine? Have the ones that once walked on the highway gone back and you seem all alone? Keep your eyes on the prize for the home in the skies. God is still on his throne. God is still on the throne and he will remember his own. Through trial, or though trials may press us and burdens distress us, he never will leave us alone. God is still on the throne. He never forsaketh his own. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on the throne. Burdened soul, is your heart growing weary with the toil and the heat of the day? Does it seem that your path is more thorny as you journey along life's way? Go away and in secret before him tell your grief to the Savior alone. He will lighten your care for he still answers prayer. God is still on the throne. I'm going to skip the course and go to verse 3. You may live in a tent or a cottage unnoticed by those who pass by, but a mansion for you he is building in that beautiful city on high. It will outshine the wealth and the splendor of the richest on earth we have known. He's the architect true, and he's building for you. God is still on the throne. He is coming again, is the promise to disciples when he went away. In like manner as he has gone from you, you will see him returning someday. Does his tarrying cause you to wonder? Does it seem he's forgotten his own? His promise is true. He's coming for you. God is still on his throne. I'm going to ask you to stand very quietly. We'll prepare for a verse of invitation. But before Brother Brian leads us in that song of invitation, I've asked Brother Tyler if he would to, it's just one minute video of the, I believe it's the cathedral's version of that song that I just read you. And it's not the whole song, it's just one minute. But I just wanted you to hear the thoughts in this song as we prepare for our invitation. Still on his throne. thousands and thousands ten thousands of angels we're never alone for God is still on his throne now he sends thousands and thousands ten thousands 